Good morning. Let me welcome you here today. Happy to see all you guests of our little Dumas baby. We're going to baptize in a minute. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. The confirmation class does resume today uh, with uh, Cindy Davis teaching about music. Next Sunday after 11 o'clock service, there'll be a reception uh, for Lauren and Don, uh, who are our new uh, music director and organist. That'll be immediately after service next week in the social hall. So hopefully you'll uh, make plans to be here to uh, welcome them officially into the life of the church and get to know them a little bit better. Let us begin our worship. Thank you. 
Let us pray together. Give us, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
let us affirm our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. seated and I invite the Dumas family to come forward. Here is your baptism certificate. I'll let grandmother hold that. Okay. I invite you to uh, get the insert out of your bulletins. Are we doing all right this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Don't shake it. Oh, Lord. The church is of God and will be reserved to the end of time for the conduct of worship and the due administration of God's word and sacraments, the maintenance of Christian fellowship and discipline, the edification of believers, and the conversion of the world. All of every age and station stand in need of the means of grace which it alone supplies. Baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of His righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So these parents, I ask them questions because they're presenting this child. And then someday this child will go through confirmation and will answer these questions for himself. Beloved, do you in presenting this child for holy baptism reject all that is evil, repent of your sin, and accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole truth, trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church? that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. Through the congregation, I ask you, 
as Christ's body, the church. Will you reaffirm both, both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? Will you work, nurture one another into Christian faith and life and include this person now before you in your care and surround him with a community of love and forgiveness? Let us pray. Eternal Father, your mighty acts of salvation have been made, made known through water. From the moving of your Spirit upon the waters of creation, to the deliverance of your people through the flood and through the Red Sea, in the fullness of time you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb, baptized by John and anointed by your Spirit. Jesus called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and to those who receive it to wash away their sin, clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go, you don't go to pastor. Oh my goodness, you're getting heavy. <laughs> okay, Harold Clyde Dumas, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now can I have them back? I need them back. Okay, let's put them. Let's see if we can get them back. Okay, it's long enough. May the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Those who have been baptized into Christ's holy church are welcomed into this congregation, United Methodist Church. This child is now a preparatory member. Members of the household of God, I commend this child to your love and care. Do all in your power to increase his faith, confirm his hope, and perfect him in love. as he grows in years, may also grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that by the restraining and renewing influence of the Holy Spirit, he may ever be a true child of thine, serving thee faithfully all his days. So guide and uphold the parents and sponsors of this child, that by loving care, wise counsel, and holy example, they may lead him into that life of faith, whose strength is righteousness, whose fruit is everlasting joy and peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve and keep you now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to put you on a diet.
For our children to come down? For children's time. already haven't we during recent weeks we've talked about the symbols of Easter see I think we're going to have to make an adjustment <laughs> that's good if I didn't need notes it'd be alright <laughs> yes uh, we've remembered the importance of the cross We've talked about the Easter lilies. We've talked about dogwood blossoms. Well, this morning, I want you to think about another symbol of the church, and that's the Paschal candle. See it on the stand right there? It's called the Paschal candle or the Easter candle. And today, it's very important to us. It was, it was lit last Sunday on Easter Sunday to represent the glorious resurrection of Jesus from the tomb. The flame of this candle is important to Christians everywhere because our risen Christ lights the world for us. The sadness of the crucifixion was taken away when Jesus Christ rose from the tomb to heaven to be with God, his heavenly Father. Jesus is our light. He is our warmth. And he is there with us through the darkness and the sadness that we sometimes feel. And we must remember these words. May the light of Christ, rising in glory, dispel or take away the darkness of our hearts and minds. But there's also another special meaning for the Paschal candle. The candle is also lit for baptisms. And we have been here to be a part of Harold's baptism. He is precious to Anna, his sister. He's precious to his family and friends. And he's especially pre precious to God. The light of the candle during baptism represents the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist promised to Jesus and anyone who's baptized in Christ that this Holy Spirit is now a part of him. Bless you. Now, I'd like for an acolyte to come forward. And I want you to light your lighter from the Paschal candle. And Anna... I want you to hold this candle, and we'll let Hunter light it for you. Hold it out a little bit in front of you and let him light it. Now, Anna is holding the Paschal candle for, uh, holding light from the Paschal candle for Harold. And one day, she will tell him about his baptism, and she will share these words with him. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is a verse that we all need to remember and accept. Now we're going to let her hold it just a little bit longer. Before you go to your seats, I want you to take a candle with you. And I want you to take this candle home. 
and I want you to light it at home. There's a little switch on the bottom. You don't have to worry about matches or, or flames. I know that's a relief. And when you when you light it, whoops, when you turn it on, it flickers and it will remind you of the Holy Spirit that is a part of you. Okay? Let us pray. Jesus, let others see your light through our actions and words. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of God for the people of God. True. 
we begin this time of prayer, I do have a few personal requests that I first hear in the church. Bob Gray, who's a member of our church, his mother passed away this past week. And I want you to remember him in your prayers. Also, um, Brenda's sister who passed a couple weeks ago, her husband has just found out that he has pancreatic cancer. And it doesn't look too good, so I want you to please remember our nephew, who's an only child, um, and this family. And then, um, and I usually don't like to bring personal prayer requests, but uh, my son and daughter-in-law and three grands live in Rochelle, Illinois. Now, they were not affected by that tornado, but they live seven miles from where the destruction began. And they were in the uh, restaurant, not the one that you see on TV that collapsed, but as in another restaurant at the time, they had to, of course, uh, uh, you know, shelter in place. Anyway, our, my, the two youngest grands are pretty well traumatized by this uh, storm. And uh, that's who I'd hope you'd pray for all the residents of that area and, uh, and for my, my two little grands up there that live so far away so we can't help them much. But you can through your prayers. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Blessed are you, Lord. You are God of creation. And as you are one, so have you knit together your people as one and blessed them. You've commanded the blessing of life forevermore through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we come this day singing our praises to your name. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, for your great love and mercy to us. You have loved us with an eternal love, but we must confess this day we have not always returned it. You give us life in your law, but we do not always obey. You present your faithful promises, but we do not believe, we doubt. We ask for further proof. Oh Lord, for our negligence, for our disobedience, for our unbelief, forgive us, good Lord. Help us to understand in new ways your power as revealed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The message we have received is that you are the light which takes away all darkness and shows us the way of life. So fill us again this day with the light of your Holy Spirit that we may have fellowship with you and one another and that we might testify to what we've received so that others may also be brought to the truth. Your people, the church, have been called to be of one heart and soul and mind. And so with our heart and mind, we remember this day all of our brothers and sisters on our prayer list, those that we have named and those that we name in our hearts now. We pray for each one in distress, whether because of suffering in body, mind, or spirit. We pray that you'd be with them, be with us, that your comfort and touch might be felt, and that we all may be made whole. Help us this day, O Lord, to accept your good and perfect will in all things. And we pray especially again this day for this little baby, little Harold Clyde Dumas. We pray for him and his family. We pray and ask that you'd bless them throughout all their lives. We ask that you'd bless us and bless all those who have not yet seen or heard and so that they may soon believe in him who died and rose for us and in whose name we pray. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship with our giving that our ushers come forward.
maybe seated. It's good to see you, Tommy, here today. Tommy, you know, we're glad to see you. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, you will find the Ten Commandments. Let me read them to you. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precepts, your tender commandments that are here for our own good will and being. We pray that you'll help us to understand them anew and afresh this day. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, there's been a lot of statistics lately about religious religion in the United States and, and so forth and so on. And, but, but in those... Uh, statistics, even though they show a decline uh, in uh, attendance to church and, the, and a decline in people who believe in God, they're still showing a majority of Americans believe the Ten Commandments are a useful guide for living. But the same poll found that a, only a small minority of people could name even five of the Ten Commandments. So I guess either the church is doing a poor job of teaching them or people are not listening to the teaching, and it might be a sum of both. But in the next few weeks, uh, the next four after this, I plan to remedy, remedy that. I will teach them the listening and following is up to you. We're going to do two commandments a Sunday for five Sundays till we have them all. Now, I want you to understand that the, the first and foremost, I want you to understand this right off the bat. Listen, the commandments are not a recipe for gaining God's favor. 
The commandments are not a recipe for gaining God's favor. You already have God's favor. The commandments are a description of how we are to live as God's people together. They define our relationship with God and they define our relationship with each other. Jesus said all the commandments could be summed up with these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And when you contemplate these commands in Jesus' words, you, would, you do understand, I think, that if they were obeyed, what a splendid world this would be. Crime would stop. Husbands and wives would not worry about the faithfulness of the other. Lying would stop. There'd be no disobedient children. And best of all, churches would be jammed because God, the one and only, would be our primary desire and love of our life. So the first commandment, you shall have only one God, only one, is straightforward, I think, and probably pretty easy for us to understand. Indeed, in those same polling results that I was telling you about, it still says that a majority, even though it is now a very slim majority, still of Americans still believe in God. They still believe in God. And yet, as one commentator has put it, we might claim one God, but we worship many in practice. Let me explain. One thing that is probably truer than anything else I can say today is this, that you could be emotionally and spiritually bankrupt, but if you have wealth and fame, most people are going to think you're okay. But of course, you're not okay. You're not okay if wealth and fame, money becomes preeminent over God in your life. One of the saddest stories in the New Testament is the, is the, is the record of a meeting between Jesus and a young man who was rich. And the man comes to Jesus and he asks him, he says, I want to inherit eternal life. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, well, have you kept the commandments? And the young man says, yes, I've kept all the commandments. What else am I to do? And Jesus said, go and sell what you have. Give the proceeds to the poor. And the scripture records for us that the man's face fell because he had many possessions. His possessions had come to possess him. They had become his God. My friends, whatever it is, now listen, if you're not willing to give it up for the kingdom of heaven, it has become your God. Whatever it is, if you're not willing to give it up for the kingdom of heaven, it has become your God. In the time of Jesus, it's estimated there were 30,000 different idols and gods that people worshipped. One of them was the God of pleasure. Now be clear, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure is only sinful when we break God's law in its pursuit. Oftentimes, something that preachers hear a lot is this. People will say, I wasn't in worship because I was doing whatever, fill in the blank. And then they'll say something like, I can worship God right there as well as anywhere. Well, friends, those pleasurable things are pleasurable. And I don't deny any of us having those pleasurable times. But there's not much worship going on. I've been on a golf course, okay? And the Lord's name is often used, but it's not used the way we use it here. <laughs> My friends, these things are not worship. 
When the pursuit of pleasure takes the place of worship, then the first commandment says it has become a sin. Have you ever wondered why God would give this commandment in the first place? Is God insecure? Of course not. The God of love whom we have come to know in Jesus Christ gave this command for our sakes. Think of the mess that people make with their lives. Think of the mess that people make chasing after other gods. So much dissatisfaction because of the long hours, the stressed out duties, trying to keep up with the Joneses, never quite making it, or seeking pleasure in, in such excesses that they end up in early grave due to drinking or lives wasted on drug dependence or bodies that slowly waste away due to sexually transmitted diseases. These things become people's gods and that is a sin. The Lord says you shall have no other God before me because these gods can ruin you. That's why I call these commandments the tender commandments. They are commands from God who loves us enough to warn us. To warn us away from those things that can endanger us. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have joy and, and have life and live that life abundantly. In my opinion, the best way to live that life abundantly is to get back to the basics of faith. And there's nothing more basic than these tender commandments. I'm sure all of you remember Mark Twain from your childhood and your reading. Someone once told Mark Twain, and I quote, Before I die, he said, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I will climb to the top of Mount Sinai, and there I will read the Ten Commandments aloud. Mark Twain upon hearing this said, I have a better idea. Why don't you stay right here and try to keep some of them? <laughs> Having only one God naturally means that we should not construct idols for worship. That's why these two are connected. Now at first glance, this doesn't seem like a problem for us today. I have visited in many of y'all's homes, in many homes through the years I've been in the ministry. And I'll tell you right now, I've never seen anybody in any of their workshops turning out idols. Never seen that. Never. I have seen some rather strange-looking homemade lamps, but no idols. In fact, sometimes I even have a hard time imagining how ancient people would carve something out of wood or stone and then bow down to it and pray to it. But I guess just before we think that ancient people had some screw loose, we need to try to put ourselves into their place and try to understand what was going on and why God wanted the truth to be known. Think about seeing a massive storm like the one I was just describing earlier. Lightning and thunder and wind blowing. The people of our ancient, ancient ancestors, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have Doppler radar. They didn't have a weather caster and tornado warnings. So the first thing that they came to their mind was, we need some way to explain this unexplainable event that happened. And so it's not impossible then to see how they, they constructed idols or constructed a worship system that would try to give them some kind of meaning and understanding to what otherwise was a mystery. And if you think about idols this way, you can see that God wanted to set the matter straight. 
You can see why idol-making was a problem then. It could still be a problem today. Think about it this way. In our modern world, jobs hang by a thread. Scandals occur as often as ups and downs in the stock markets. The human spirit craves a system to understand it all, a way of bringing certainty to the uncertain ways of life. And so oftentimes then we construct things that become our focus and they become idols as we try to explain what's going on in our lives. But the best way to live through uncertain times is to return to the certain path of the way of Jesus. But of course in ancient times, when the crops failed or the enemy approached, it's not hard to see that a human would go into a temple somewhere and speak to, a, to an image and hope that something would happen, something good or bad, whatever it was that they needed. But this is where it ended up, like most things that humans construct, it ended up being a terrible thing. You see, somebody would say something like, I need it to rain, or, my, or I'm not going to have any crops this year. So, well, maybe we should sacrifice something. Well, maybe they sacrificed a, a, a cow. That didn't work, so then they sacrificed their child. Let me tell you, if you don't think that happens or happened, just go to the Mayan ruins in Mexico. You go down there and see all these uh, things that's been uncovered, and you see where they worshipped, and that's the way they worshipped. They actually murdered their children, thinking that was somehow or another going to appease the gods. So it's important for us to understand that God does not like that kind of stuff by no means. And it's into this type of world that God came first to Abraham and then to Moses with these rules. Given God gave us knowledge into that ancient world and insight into the certainty of the living God so that they wouldn't do stuff like that. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Don't bow down to it. Don't worship it. For I am the Lord your God. So you can see how this command sounds reasonable to us today. But it's important for you to note this one little statistic here, and that is that in the whole Bible there are more references to this second commandment about not having idols than any others. This is something God wants to make sure we get the point. And it seems to me like even today we have tendencies for people to go off and do things that have nothing to do with God and have all to do with idol worship. I made a trip to the Grand Canyon. While there, we made a detour to a little town called Sedona. Have y'all ever been there? And when you, go, when you go there to Sedona, at least a few years ago when we went there, there's this big old red rock there. You might have seen it on TV or something. And you know what it's covered with? All these people get up on the top of this rock, they chant and they worship, they think this is some kind of special vortex, okay, that they get in touch with, you know, the gods of the universe by getting on top of this, this rock. I found it absolutely unbelievable, the number of people that do stuff like that. So it's still a problem even today. Another way is to think of it is this way. 
We've been blessed by lots of material things. They make us feel secure. We must be careful not to idolize them over and above God who gave them to us in the first place. We also need to be careful we don't do the same thing with the things of our faith. We must cherish the Bible, the church, and the church building, but we must not let it become an idol. Sometimes it's easy to fall in love with a building and forget that its primary purpose is for ministry, not a museum. And I've seen that happen in many of our churches across our conference. God warns us that consequences of our sins are passed on. But God also includes a promise with this commandment, and it's a wonderful promise, and it's a promise you should remember and teach your children. And that is that God's love is infinitely greater than God's anger. If we keep God's tender commands, not only our children, but our grandchildren's grandchildren, and then some will know of God's love and will be blessed to a thousand generations. The scripture is clear, I do believe. That to those who love God, His grace and mercy extends to them and into their offspring. I believe that I'm blessed, and I believe that you're blessed today because of godly ancestors. Well, friends, look, if you don't think your actions here now make a difference, then you can't find a clearer passage in Scripture than this one found in Exodus. And there's no better way to give your children or grandchildren a secure future than to love God and pass these teachings on. So remember, the first two commandments, one God, only one, no idols. Next week, we're going to talk about God's name and keeping one day holy. I hope I can see you for the whole uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, I, will, I will tell you one thing that uh, has, I, I have preached this before, and I, I'll tell you that once I announced it, everybody wanted to know, when are we going to talk about adultery? Well, we will. <laughs> Why they want to know that is beyond me. But that's the one everyone seems to want to hear about the most, which worries me a lot. So if any of y'all come up and say, when are, we going to when are you going to preach on adultery? I'm going to get worried. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand and sing.
blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Almighty, Eternal, Triune God, one God, now and forevermore. Amen.